Brooding darkness lay over the pretentious mansion. No lights showed anywhere on the spacious grounds, except for a splash of incandescence thrown from the partly opened door of the cement garage that was built into the side of the house. Off to the left, the white stonework of a private mausoleum rose, wraith-like in the night, barely discernible in the gloom. In the house itself, the servants' quarters were darkened. The dim bulb in the hall at the entrance left the rest of the corridor in shadowy obscurity. In one room only was there a sign of subdued life. This was a library on the second floor at the rear. The house was built on a sharp slope, so that this second-floor room became, in fact, a ground-floor room. Here were gathered four men, whose features were indistinguishable in the partial light of a weak-bulbed bridge-lamp in the far corner. Even in the dim illumination, this room appeared as a sumptuously furnished library. Bookcases lined the walls. Deep, comfortable upholstered chairs were in evidence. At the far end from the windows, a balcony stretched across the room. The four men paid no attention to the furnishings. Though their faces were blurs, and the starched front of their dress shirts merely white splotches in the semi-gloom, it was apparent that there was a strange tenseness about them, a strained air of nervous expectancy that seemed to charge the atmosphere with hideous forebodings of doom. One of the four, a very tall man, was walking up and down, while the others sat still and taut, their very attitudes seeming to question him. Every time the tall man neared the far end of the room, the low-thrown light of the bridge-lamp cast its gleaming focus on his brightly polished patent leather shoes that squeaked slightly with each step. One of the seated men flicked a lighter to a cigarette. The hand that held the lighter was revealed as flabby, pudgy, trembling. He took a puff or two of the cigarette, extinguished the lighter. Then, with an impatient motion, he crushed the cigarette in an ashtray on the end table. "'God!' he broke out in a high-pitched voice. "'Stop that walking! Those damn shoes of yours, squeaking like that, they give me the creeps!' The tall man kept on walking. "'Losing your nerve?' he demanded bitingly. Another of the four stirred in his chair. He was a man with a large, heavy body. His face was almost entirely hidden in the depths of the upholstery. He took a bulky, old-fashioned watch from his vest-pocket, "'Snapped open the case. "'It's eight fifteen, he said in a deep, authoritative voice. "'If anything has happened, it's over by this time. "'Turn on the radio and get the news flashes. "'It's better than phoning into the city for information. "'That might arouse suspicion.' "'The fourth man remained silent. "'He sat still and self-contained, a mere shadow in the darkness. "'The tall man grunted, walked over to the radio, "'treading hard so as to make his shoes squeak louder.' The pudgy man said, "'God, that squeaking will drive me crazy!' The others paid him no attention. They stiffened in their seats as the radio sprang to life under the tall man's manipulation. The announcer's voice billowed into the room, filled it, "'And bear out once more all the dark rumors and fearful whispers about the sinister hand that seems to be enveloping the entire state in a clutch of horror,' he was saying. "'We learn that within the last hour—' A bold, brazen, and murderous attempt has been made to assassinate Judge Guy B. Farrell, the governor-elect of the state. Fortunately, the murderer was balked.